Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Dr. Sheffield's Certified Natural Toothpaste. We have deep reverence for thought leaders, game changers, and innovators, the originators and brilliant minds, which is why Dr. Sheffield's Certified Natural Toothpaste is one of our partners. They invented toothpaste, literally. The formula today is based on Dr. Sheffield's notebooks and recipes from the 1870s, which means it's SLS-free, has no harmful bleaching agents, fluoride, or artificial preservatives, and it's certified by the Natural Products Association. To learn more about Dr. Sheffield's natural toothpaste, go to drsheffieldsnaturals.com. It's also available at any major retailer like CVS and Walgreens. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. (laughs) Did you hear about that? (laughs) I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is Dr. Sherry Sammy. Sherry specializes in both integrative pediatric dentistry and orthodontics. She's a graduate of Columbia University. She completed her residency in pediatric dentistry and orthodontics at UCLA, where she later served as a clinical instructor. Sherry runs a dental practice in Agora Hills, California, and she co-founded the integrative medicine practice Beehive of Healing with Dr. Habib Sadegi. Sherry is also leading the way in a growing area of study called compassion medicine, which is the idea that the loving presence of a physician, any sort of doctor or healer, actually has the biggest impact on a patient in terms of healing. Sherry goes beyond just looking for cavities or crooked teeth and truly takes a holistic approach. Not only does she consider underlying issues that may stem from previous generations, she's taking stock of what personal baggage she might be bringing into the care experience. My children have been going to Sherry for years, and she's truly exceptional. For Sherry, one of the best ways we can set our kids up for success is to be very committed to our own healing. More than anything we can teach them, they learn the most from seeing this. Throughout those really, really challenging six months of my life, I made two vows. One is I'm going to work with kids. Two is I'm going to become a kind of a doctor that I would look at every single patient of mine and I would tell them how much I care and I love them. Let's get right to my chat with Dr. Sherry Sammy. As a physician, it's so interesting to hear your, I mean, you're a very unique physician. Yeah. There are not a lot of, are you a, is it, it's not an MD if you're a dentist, right? It's no, it's a DD, doctor of DDS? dental surgery. Yes, DDS. DDS, yeah. Luckily, I think it's getting less rare. Like I think physicians now who are coming out of medical school and, you know, now you have the one in UCLA, there's an integrative medical school. Right. And right. so it seems to be... There's compassion medicine. There's compassion. At, oh, you've just talked into your thing. Compassion oh. medicine at Stanford. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, am I... Are we like talking in these We're things? talking in these things. Yes. Really? It's a podcast. You've been talking... <laughs> I thought we were just chit-chatting. <laughs> so, we are. That's all this yes. is. We just need to record it. <laughs> right. Um, what do you know about that compassion medicine at Stanford, by the way? Um, basically, they are looking at, and this is what, what you know, Habib and I were, were really interested to teaching, is how the loving presence of a physician, a doctor, you know, any sort of doctor and healer, makes 
the biggest difference in terms of the healing aspects of a patient, how your presence and what you bring into a session, it's your biggest prescription, basically. It's, it's more important than what you tell them. It's more important than what you do. It's more important than uh, the advice and the knowledge, you know, all of And all of those things are important, but the presence that you bring forward in the, in the session, it's, it's the most incredible gift of healing that you can give to anyone. And they're studying this? And they're studying this. So and they're the studying point. the quality of being that the physician is bringing into right. the room, the, the quality of the compassion and the right. presence. Right. How are they studying and they're that? Even, uh, well, they're, they are doing so many different things. They are looking at when the person is coming out, like did the, did the physician inspire them? Did they feel hurt? Did they feel loved? Did they feel acknowledged? Did they feel that they were understood with their concerns? And what, what are some of the connections that they felt with the physician? or with their with the healer that they are you know being with and they're going to but even more than that like there's there's a lot more that it's happening that it's looking at you know doctors and some of the baggages that we bring into the session so let's say you know I don't want to start any rumors but you you talk about you know oh I'm been going through this challenging situation with my husband and this is causing a lot of stress. If I haven't dealt with, if I'm going through exactly the same issue, if I haven't dealt with my emotions, what I would not be able to hold a very neutral, non-judgmental healing space for you. So because you would be triggered because by I your would be triggered by my unresolved issue and because of that I would go into a judgment and either would would make the situation a little bit worse for you and give you advice or things that it's not necessarily appropriate for your situation mm-hmm. or I would bring it a, bring in an energy that it's not necessarily conduc- conducive to your healing. The best thing that I do is for you for me to meet you at that roomies field out beyond the ideas of right doing and wrong doing, there is an empty field and I'll meet you there. So this is taking back the, the essential aspects of the doctors to do their own healings. So and the, that's part of the Stanford program? That's not part of the Stanford pro- program. That's part of the curriculum that Habib and I are putting together right. for the medical schools. So it would be a two-year program called Consciousness, Health, and Healing, and it would actually introduce physicians and medical students not only in you know alternative methods of healing, but all also take them through what does a heart-centered listening looks like? What is seeing the loving essence, you know, feels like? Where can you deal with your own emotional baggage of the childhood so that when you're not bringing it into the front of the in front of another human being you are completely clear and in your best and in the and the loving Mm -hmm. where whatever you bring forward is is just healing not necessarily some of your stuff and and it's i mean there is a there's a big saying that we always talk about it says the patient gets healed when the doctor gets healed and most of the people they they really miss that we have taught some of these, you know, courses already like a full day course to medical students. And it's amazing what comes forward. Like they can't even talk about, they can't even be vulnerable. If you can't be vulnerable, then how can you expect your patient to be vulnerable? I have so many questions to ask you about that. And I would love to start a little bit with, tell me, so you're, you are in Columbia Medical School and you're learning all of the things that doctors in training learn. At what point did you realize there was something more and there were different, there was more opportunity to look at a patient in a more holistic way? And how radical was that at the time? So I'm going to, I'm going to actually go back to a story that I don't think, you know, something vulnerable for me. So I was 14 years old back in Iran, and I got a bacterial infection called brucellosis, which comes from unpasteurized dairy and, you know, this bacteria that most of the time is just in, during that time there was a war, so some of the dairy products weren't the greatest. 
So I got completely bedridden, hospitalized for six months, and they didn't really know what was wrong with me because I had the chills and the fevers and the pain and, you know, in the coccyx and the tailbone. And here I am, 14-year-old, and they are, they are telling me that I might not walk again, I might die, I, you know, all of these things. But the biggest part of that was every single day there would be a bunch of doctors with their residents kind of coming to the room and not even looking at me as a person. They would just be talking amongst themselves and talk us like, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe like just a bunch of big words. Here I am, this like, you know, scared little 14-year-old, like what's happening to me, what's going on with me? And nobody would really like tell me like, you know, we're looking at it. How are you feeling about all these things? How, where are you? So Throughout those really, really challenging six months of my life, I made two vows. One is I'm going to work with kids. Two is I'm going to become a kind of a doctor that I would look at every single patient of mine and I would tell them how much I care and I love them. And that would be my biggest thing that I will do for them. And you've been into my clinic, you know that that is my mission with every single patient because I want to see them and know them and hear them for who they are in the entirety of who they are, not just physical symptoms. I want to know their emotional and spiritual and mental and everything that they they go through. And that's why I'm always interested. Right. And what's incredible is that your philosophy around medicine is that a symptom is not just a symptom that there are layers underneath. There are emotional causes. There are a lot of factors that cause illness. It's not just, you know, there are reasons that... And you you don't look, you don't go and treat the symptom. You treat the cause. Right. And what's fascinating is most people, like they sit with Gwyneth and they ask about, so what is, you know, what's going on with you and what's your symptom? And, you know, let's just give this medications or let's just come up with this very quick band-aid in order to relieve your pain. But then if you actually sit with a patient and you know that one of the things that I do, I actually sit with the parents and I don't just discover about who they are as far as the kid goes, I also want to find out about the parents and the grandparents. So because every single one of us, we actually come to this world with a purpose to heal. And this includes to heal the physical, emotional, mental of just not ourselves, but also the generations before us. And hopefully we won't pass it to the generation after. Mm -hmm. So we are all a story right? We're all a story, a a big, long, incredibly loving and amazing story that is to be unfolded. So when I look at the dis-ease, and I call it dis-ease, not disease, because it's not who you are. It's something that that it's temporary here. I look at how can I open this whole story where it reveals some parts of who they are in the larger context of this matrix is this this beautiful you know ocean that they're swimming in and how can i be part of the solutions of mm-hmm. you know whether me by myself or me collaborating with all these incredible beings you know that i have the blessing to work with to unravel this story well the healing would not just be alleviating the symptoms mm-hmm. but also continuing to heal the generations before because if you resolve something, the entire humanity will move forward within that context. And if you resolve something within yourself that was also present in your mom and it was also present in your grandma, you're in such an incredible way, you're also healing the generations mm-hmm. before. So that's why... That's what con- I think they mean in, in the Bible when they say the talk about the sins of the father. You know, it's really yes. like our weaknesses or our, yeah. you know, that we pass down generation to generation without yeah. understanding, you know, th- that without a shift in consciousness and without bringing awareness and healing our own stuff, like we yeah. just unconsciously pass pass our shit down to yeah. our kids. And, and it's, int- you know, it's been an amazing, you know, I, I have craniosacral therapists at my, at my work, Austin. Path, breathing it's pretty rare at an I mean, like orthodontist have... dentist office. <laughs> I remember have... the first time I came to see you and I brought 
Apple and Mosey. Gosh, it was a long time ago. Yes. And so, um, so cute and little. <laughs> and I remember going to talk to you in your office when you were here on San Vicente and sitting down with you. And then you're asking me all these questions about, you know, my emotional trauma and my marriage, which was going through a really hard time. Well, and then, you know, we yeah. all know how that ended. But um, I thought, why is this amazing, lovely, dentist orthodontist asking me about my childhood trauma <laughs> and my <laughs> and what's going on in my marriage and so so tell me a little bit about how those things inform how you treated say apple for example so we have a concrete example like how do you bring that into treating the child I would love to know, you know, concrete example. Well, I, I will give you concrete example, but I don't want to give Apple. Okay. Because she might not like That's it. That's true. So let's, you let's can give, you know, pick I, anybody, you know, uh, anonymous. I, yeah. So the way that I look at, first of all, I have, I've always, since then, I've always been curious at like the human being, you know, because it's, we're not just our physical, you know, physical, physicality. We're also our emotion and thoughts and I also feel that everything is all, uh, a, a spiritual curriculum. So I'm interested in this whole being with all this story. When I look at a patient, I'm not looking at just, okay, whether they have cavities or not, or whether they have crooked teeth. I look at what is the cause behind everything. And then if I can address the cause, then so many other things will come forward. For example... So you know that I do this for the past 12, 13 years. I've been performing something called phrenectomy, which is releasing the tongue tie and the lip tie. And basically, which completely, it's, you know, tethered fascia that literally it goes through the entire body all the way to the toes. You know, I've spoken with a lot of your colleagues that actually they, they presented at the group in health, how this, you know, they, they release everything else, but then if they have a tongue tie and lip tie, it, the fascia never keeps coming back into the same strain. What is a tongue tie and a lip tie? So you have seven attachments in your mouth. If you kind of lift up your upper lip and your lower lip and you lift up your tongue, you see that there's this little tissue that it's underneath it. So we have seven of this, one under, uh, under our upper lip, lower lip, two on the sides of our upper jaw, two on the bottom of our lower, lower jaw, and then one underneath our tongue. Sometimes, you know, with during in utero, this which was supposed to open up, it doesn't quite open up and slough off completely. So it creates a tension. And the tension on osteopathically actually goes through your whole body. So it's a, you know, we say most of the time midline issue. Mm -hmm. And it actually, like, if you can't lift up your tongue, when Sometimes it's just the tip of the tongue, but sometimes it's also the back of the tongue that cannot lift up. And because of that, doesn't allow the jaw to grow forward or it doesn't allow or it creates a significant gag reflex. It creates anxiety. It can create airway issues and sleep issues and all of that. But it's basically a little tiny tissue that it didn't open up the way that it was supposed to be like kind of like a web finger that you know you have a complete opening and that's mm -hmm. why you can move your finger so nicely if it didn't open up quite then you will start compensating in minor yet profound ways so I had a baby, newborn baby, that had a tongue tie, could not breastfeed really well. Mom was going through a lot of emotional stuff because on top of everything else that, you know, brand new mom doesn't know what's happening, like so much stuff happening to her body, hormones all over the place. Everybody's telling her like, well, you're, you don't have enough milk and you don't, you're, you know, your breast is not big enough and you're you know, uh, all kinds of nipples are too big for the baby's mouth, all kinds of bad advice. So we released the tongue tie and the lip tie and the breastfeeding improved significantly. But you know, I'm not just inter interested into this, you know, just one thing. So I'm still seeing that the jaw is not coming forward in this baby. It's significantly back. And then also the the diaphragm, it's just like <gasps> stuck, you know, so he has a lot of regurgitation, a lot of things are coming up. So we're looking and treating the patient with my craniosacral therapist. And all of a sudden, 
I'm holding his leg, you know, just kind of feeling the leg, and, and she's treating him. And she said, what happened to you the first trimester of your pregnancy? And the, the mom is sitting there asking the mom. And the mom all of a sudden just gets teary eyes, like, how is that relevant? She says, please tell me what happened, because there's so much grief in this baby's body. And the mom just just completely started blowing, like, crying really hard. Her brother committed suicide the first trimester of her pregnancy. So here she was carrying a brand new baby. This is her first, you know, baby that she's she's having. And she still has to deal with all these grief that had has come forward. And then during the pregnancy, they keep saying, make sure that you don't feel too sad because your baby is going to be affected. So she had all these emotions, unprocessed emotions that she had to, you know, push away. But then the baby was carrying it. it. Gwyneth, it was phenomenal to see. As when the mom finished crying, we all of a sudden see that baby just completely does this little shaking and everything. And then the diaphragm comes down. Wow. And it was so beautiful to see because just like he has this big smile on his face, like two and a half months old baby. And just the whole body relaxes in a way that it never relaxed before. So a lot of times, like, we're, we're just looking at one part of the equations and we're solving that, but we're not looking at the whole picture, you know, and we're not necessarily bringing all of that. So when I'm looking at, like, retruded jaw, you know, the crooked teeth, like, sleep issues, you know, a lot of different things, I look at what's, for example, how's the nutrition? You know, I always ask those questions, like you what sure is do. he or she is eating? Tell me exactly. And this is not like, oh yeah, you know, the regular pyramid that I don't really believe in, you know, but it's like in terms of the dairy and the gluten and all of that stuff, I look at like, what is the child is going through, you know, because a lot of that stuff is like, I've noticed when when kids, they're going through a period of anxiety, their jaw actually goes back and then their airways become more compromised. The the whole body, it becomes tense. Their sleep is not rejuvenating. They might be sleeping 12 hours, but not necessarily rejuvenating hours. Mm -hmm. They start having dark circles on their, their eyes, you know. So there is a lot of those aspects of it that comes to mind. Also, where is the restriction? You know, I, I've been trained significantly in osteopathy. So when I put my hand on these patients, I'm actually feeling their entire body, you know. So where's the restriction? Is it dental and in the cranium or is it somewhere else that I can utilize my osteopathic physicians in order to to open it up and, and address it? I'm also looking at what are some of the things that it's happening with the parents, you know, the situations that the parents are going through. How is the relationship? I had one of my moms the other day, new mom that was new to my practice. She comes in and I ask her that question. And then all of a sudden she just started talking about, you know, how challenging it's been with her marriage. And like she yells out, she's like, I'm leaving my husband. And then she looks at me, she's like, I can't believe it. My or my kids' orthodontist is the first person that I'm telling you, and I have two, you know, two people that I actually talk on a regular basis to, you know, therapists. How did that happen? You know, so we always have like tissues on the two sides, and my intention is not to treat them necessarily like being their therapist, but I want to know the whole picture. So you need then to know I can... the milieu and the house exactly, and understand which is a pretty radical way of yes. treating a patient. Yes. And you know, I think so many of us, we certainly come from a generation of people who sublimated all their feelings, or maybe were too unregulated with their feelings. It was sort of went from one to the other. You know, you see, you can, you can tell in a household when people aren't expressing and processing their emotional lives, you know, it's really palpable. And one thing that your husband taught me a long time ago was that children are on the mother's Wi-Fi. So they're tapped into the mother and you can pretend that you're okay and you can have a smile on your face when you 
They know. But they know everything. They can completely read you. And then they start misbehaving. And you're like, why is this, you know, this little being misbehaving? And then you tune in and you see that, hey, I'm completely disturbed. Everything that he or she is exhibiting, it's actually what I'm feeling inside. But it never occurred to me that my unprocessed, undealt with emotion could be manifesting in my children. Like we just aren't raised to think that way. But the closer that I got to myself and the more that I worked on always processing through, I think the more you give them a chance to be in their own space and consciousness and have their own feelings. And then, you know, because they're not worried about what is the mystery going on that I'm feeling, you know, there's more emotional integrity in the house. Absolutely. So how did you come to figure all this stuff out? Uh, well, uh, I, I, I wish I would have told you that like, hey, I had a roadmap and this is how it happened. But it was curiosity more than anything else. You know, I have this favorite quote that says, curiosity is the birthplace for connection. And so I was really curious when I you know, finished my residency, the regular, with all due respect to all my colleagues, the regular, you know, straighten the teeth and filling cavities, you know, because I'm a pediatric dentist and orthodontist, dual specialized, it didn't really fulfill my passion, you know, so it wasn't something that I was really thrilled about. Were you talking about any of these curiosities in medical school or are you just... Um, it was came I was, after. but I was, you know, I was not being met with the answers that I wanted to to hear. You know, there were some very, very astute psychologists, for example, that they were working with us and they understood the language, but most of the people that they were in that traditional, they they weren't very you know, happy about like hearing that. I remember even I would sit down with, um, when I was a resident in craniofacial clinic, we had, we have an amazing clinic at, uh, at UCLA and we would be sitting, we would like each doctor would go through, you know, and sit with the patient and examine the patient. And then after that would come out and then the next person, and then we'll just all get together and, and discuss what did we think about the patient and what should go first, what should go next. And a lot of times I would actually sit down with the parents and they would just kind of download like all the stuff that they're going through, you know, oh yeah, my husband left because he says it's my fault that my kid has cleft palate and cleft lip and, or his face is deformed. You know, we are having a lot of issues like with the family, you know, they would just kind of download everything. And, and there were times that I would just actually have tears coming out of my eyes and they were like, no, a doctor should be very, very, you know, neutral and like nothing at all in your face and you should be completely stoic and that's not acceptable for you. They're not going to respect you if you, if you have tears in your eyes or you get emotional. And I have experienced completely opposite in my career. You know, I have experienced like, I think I I shared with you one time, like I had a seven-year-old that one of my patients, he's 17 now, and he came into my office and the first time we went through some of this stuff and I asked him, I said, I'll call him James. So he remains anonymous. James, you know, why do you look so sad for a seven-year-old? And he just looked at me and he says, wouldn't, be, wouldn't you be so sad if like you just lost your best friend to leukemia and your mom has breast cancer? When he said this, I just started like literally the tears just kept coming down without any kind of control. And he's like, I've never seen a doctor who cries. And I said, well, my dad is going through cancer right now. So it, it's just sitting very, very close to my heart. And, I'm, and I can completely understand where you are. And I'm astounded by the courage for you to even be here and to go through all of these things. So he, at the end of it, you know, I give my, my kids all a hug, you know, so I'm giving him a hug. And then he holds me a little bit extra. And he said... I think we both need this extra hug. (laughs) This is a seven-year-old, right? Next day, I come back, and they say, James has been waiting here for an hour and a half to give you these flowers. He wanted to give it to you himself and not... And then he says, these flowers are for your mom and, you know, for, uh, for my mom and your dad. So can you put it in your garden so they blossom and we both pray for them? 
these are the things, these are the experiences that I have with my patients and with my sophisticated, sophisticated, um, sorry, I'm making everybody cry here, <laughs> sophisticated, beautiful children that they, they really understand. And when they feel heard and seen and acknowledged, I think something really brilliant comes out of them and, and they, they come and, it, there's so much more healing than if I would have just sat there and felt his multiple cavities. But when I actually saw what was beyond his cavities and behind, behind because the inflammatory process goes up when you're under a lot of stress and you get more cavities, that's during that those times. I mean, this is like a known f- medical fact, but most of us would just kind of come, drill, fill, and then, okay, well, make sure you don't have any sugars. So I get a lot out of this. And then I, so I started like studying about food as medicine, you know, because there was no nutrition classes that actually taught me, hey, you don't like when somebody gets sick, uh, so much of it could be because of what they're eating. And, or if they're, they're going through something that nutrition can actually harm if they're not eating nutritious food, that actually mm-hmm. can worsen their emotions and their thought process and their situation. I went through a three-year program of spiritual psychology, you know, and consciousness, health, and healing with, and got my master. You know, I had my, I already had my psychology bachelor with a concentration in child psychology, but I kind of extended that and got my master. I went through osteopathy and anthroposophical medicine and biodynamics osteopathy and there are so many different things that I just became really interested Mm -hmm. to just learn and the more that I learned the more that I found out how this beautiful incredible human being is all connected with you know from from different aspects mind body and spirit and not just physical stuff that that I learned and yes I need to know my physical aspects I need to know my my anatomy and physiology and everything else but I am fascinated by putting it all together and and looking at all that stuff so how does the traditional dental community and orthodontic community react when you put your work into the world that's a good question. I think we're getting there, mm-hmm. you know, now. Um, how was it at first and how is it now? <laughs> challenging, <laughs> very challenging. I think I'm still the odd woman out. Mm-hmm. It's not something that it's a lot of my colleagues when they found out about, you know, the way that I practice, even with alternative stuff, they, you know, looking at airways as a basis of orthodontics, looking at osteopathy, you know, where is the strain in the whole cranium, the tongue tie, the lip tie, 12 years ago, when I started doing the tongue tie and the lip tie, starting with Hafez, my own son, you know, it was just very frowned upon, you know, now things are getting a lot better and a lot more, they're more open to it. Now they have, for example, phrenectomy classes in, uh, you know, Harvard University and Temple and a lot of these, you know, Ivy League schools. You know, I went to an orthodontic meeting the other day that the, the lecturer was talking about like, oh, the airway seems to be the sexy word now, you know. So they're looking at things a little bit more. You're moving the culture they're forward. Moving, they're moving forward. <laughs> However, I think it's still very uncomfortable for us, not just dental world, but also medical world to deal with emotions because I don't think that we ever dealt with our own emotions while we were going through school. That's that's one of the things that right. with our nonprofit organization, Love Button Global Movement, we're so passionate about the educational piece of the emotional IQ and actually you know, from we have a program now in elementary school with a teddy bear program. We have, uh, we're creating something in middle school and high schools. And then we have already on our way with the, with the medical schools, bringing forward like, you know, how, how, what is this emotion? I think a lot of people when they have, when they feel anger, they either shoved it, you know, way, 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 way deep because it's not allowed or they give it another name, you know, and, um, and then afterward, they feel shame about it. So all the, you know, Brene Brown work and all the things that we have talked about, I feel like it's changing first the mass, and then 
hopefully afterward bringing forward mm-hmm. all of the medical community, medical dental community into understanding some of these sophistication and how it affects your physiology. Mm. Because I, I don't think that unless you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you really dive into the emotions as much during your training. So, and it's so important. Mm. It's really, really important. It's getting there slowly, but surely, but we still have a very, very long way to mm-hmm. go. We'll get right back to the chat. I started my investigation into clean beauty after I became pregnant with my first child. It was, and still is, important to me and my family to have healthy products in our pantry, cupboards, and medicine cabinets. Toothpaste was one of the first items we replaced. Dr. Sheffield's Certified Natural Toothpaste was created 160 years ago, and their formula today is based off an age-old recipe from the original doctor's notebook. That means no synthetic detergents, foaming agents, harmful bleaching agents, or artificial preservatives. And it's certified by the Natural Products Association. If you're clean curious, this might be the place to start. You can find Dr. Sheffield's at CVS, Walgreens, and all major retailers, or more information on Dr. Sheffield's Natural Toothpaste at drsheffieldsnaturals.com. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Do you think that, you know, really the what is the consumer, right? The, the patient, do you see them changing the landscape of how... You know, are they pushing physicians into thinking more broadly, you know, when they hear about this stuff? I mean, I know you're at the forefront of it, but if you have colleagues, do they ever say, hey, you know, people are coming in and wanting to understand airways or meridians, how they pertain to the teeth? Do you you get a sense that that's happening? Yes, absolutely. I think it's actually the patients that they're changing the directions of this whole thing. I had a lecture actually about what is integrative dentistry. And about 120 people showed up, dentists, they showed up. I would say a third of them, when I started talking, the first 20 minutes, they walked out angry, angry, like super angry. A third of them, they kind of stayed, but they were just kind of wiggling in their in their seats. And a third of them, they just came hungry for more because they said, we were getting all of these ta- you know, calls and all these questionings from our patients, and we really don't understand or have any answers. And we like to know more, you know, because we want to be of service. We want to be an advocate for our patients. But our education hasn't really prepared us for it. So where do we get more information? Where do we get more? What do they want to know about specifically? They, they wanted to know, like, for example, you know, does, you know, how does like the root canal affects everything? How does the whole body is affected by the stuff that you do in your mouth? I feel like that on the most part, when you're looking at the mouth, you're just, you know, you are looking at the whole picture in a small way. Like we are not looking at, for example, gut health. You know, now there is more and more research that shows your gut health starts from your mouth. If you're just concentrating on your gut and you're missing the mouth, it's almost like it was, you know, with all due respect, it was one hole that went two different directions, you know, so you have an (laughs) anus and you have a mouth and it was just one hole before, you know. So if you're missing the fact that it was one hole, you know, then you're not quite getting to the bottom aspects of it. You know, many people, for example, they're doing alkaline water and alkaline food, and but then they're they're missing the fact that they're mouth breathing. If you're mouth breathing all the time, you're automatically changing your system to acidic system rather than an alkaline system. There is a lot of patients that they are. I'm writing an article. It, can your anxiety be due to your tongue tie and lip tie? So because I see so many patients that. Well, I'm doing more and more my parents, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> but but I'm seeing the past three years what's coming forward. It's really, really incredible. I just had a mom last week that had a new baby. I released the tongue tie and the lip tie on the baby. And the mom's like, you know, can you check, check mine and see, you know, if I have a tongue tie, lip tie? 
A lot of times they do because it's genetic. So it's either the mom or the dad. So yeah, she had a tongue tie and a lip tie, but we decided, okay, we're going to release the lip tie. In the middle of the procedure, she burst out crying, mm. saying that when she was a teenager, and even since then, she had a lot of um, experiences with the cutting. And she says, I could feel this tension in my body, and I could feel all this anxiety, but I just didn't know what to do about it. And even though like, I went through so many therapy sessions, and I don't cut anymore, but the desire remains in my body. And then she's like... I feel that, you know, I put the intention and the prayer forward that this would be the last intentional release and the cutting that I need in order to move forward. Wow. And it was so profound to see what came after the, you know, the next week or so and how much release she had in her body, like working also with her craniosacral therapist and osteopath and what their report was. So I feel that there's so many aspects that we don't necessarily get trained and and I'm still learning you know I'm still learning because sometimes right they they an orthodontist will say oh your teeth are crooked I'm going to push them in but then there's neck tension and pain because of that because it has tell me about that yeah so the way that a lot of us I think have neck pain because we had yeah, traditional the, orthodontics as right? well as yeah as well as like you know some of the, the some of the neck braces or the headgears yeah. and things like that it could be it could not be but I want to make sure that it's so when I look at first of all I feel orthodontics starts pre-birth because when I'm lo- talking to my parents I'm looking at what are, you know, the pregnant mom, if they have a strain, if they have, like, I have one mom, like, oh, yeah, my pregnancy was really easy. But she had, like, every single month, she was flying at least 25 times a a month, you know. So all of the, and then she was working, like, 60 hours a day, all the way until she was seven months pregnant, seven or seven and a half months pregnant. That's a lot of stress that, as women, you know, it, mm. we don't necessarily, we just think like, oh, okay, we'll just kind of go through it. And, but we don't, we don't process it and we don't, we're not allowed to even call it stress. You know, it's, it's kind of, we were having this, this talk the other day about, you, you know, when we are on our menstruation, like if you're in a bad mood or grumpy or don't feel like doing anything. We almost apologize for it versus before there was like the red tent, you know, you're all getting together. Somebody else is taking care of your kids so you can go and like have this sacred time. Right. So as women, I feel like we just go, go, go. And we don't even call it stress while we're really stressed Mm -hmm. out. So I start looking at some of those things and, and then looking at how the birth was, how the pregnancy was, you know, did they use forceps, you know, was it a C-section, was there epidural and Pitocin used, or was it a natural, you know, natural delivery, what was the length of the delivery, and then afterward, how was the breastfeeding, because like the breastfeeding really, really develops the mouth and really develops the whole airways and jaw and myofunctional and the way that you swallow, was there bottle feeding introduced, the type of pacifier, I I don't think all the pacifiers, especially for the early stages of life, is bad. I have to say that. But I don't like the green one <laughs> that the hospital gives you. <laughs> so, And then I start looking at uh, the whole cranium, the 22 cr- bones in the cranium, and see, okay, if there is crowding, if there is disharmony in the mouth, where is it coming from? Mm. Where else are, you know, are you seeing, you know, is the eye discrepancy? I say for some of the older patients, I actually get their baby pictures and I see where did it start? Where is the discrepancy started happening? And then I look for the cause, you know, what what caused it? Was there a trauma? Was there a fall? Was there improper swallowing? Was there prolonged pacifier? You know, some of some, there, there's different, there's so many different things. Was there a sensory integration stuff? Or some of the patients, they have something called a, a retained primary reflexes where there was a trauma and then they basically, there's certain 
reflexes that they should go away by a certain age mm -hmm. and it doesn't go and then they contribute to the disharmony of your swallowing and your neck reflexes and all of that stuff. So I, when I start looking at that whole picture, then I'm not just treating the teeth and opening up the teeth, I'm actually opening up the airways, you know, like with your own children, I took posture fixtures and I saw them walking and I, you know, all of that. I, I look at the entire thing and my intention is that this patient, by the time that I'm done with them, they have improved significantly, if not completely corrected in some of these things that you see in the mm -hmm. rest of the body. And it's not just me. I, I utilize a lot of incredible, you know, colleagues for that, but that's the way that I look at it. And most of the orthodontics, at least, that I see is concentrated on teeth. And when you might straighten the teeth, but then there is your teeth are connected to the rest of the the cranium, there's 22 bones that they're like a piece of puzzle. So you can't move these two, you know, your upper and the lower jaw without affecting the rest of these bones. So my... I mean, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And, and I don't know, before I went to osteopathy, I really understood that or I had... I mean, I learned a lot about the cranium, you know, during my, my medical... I mean, my Columbia education and the, as well as, you know, my residency, but I don't know if I quite put it together or they really connected like, oh, let's look at the eyes and the symmetry in the rest of, and then the, you know, the ear infection, the recurrent ear infection. Could it be is because, you know, the cranium, you know, on the sides are so compacted that the the ears are not draining. And if the ears are not draining, how does it affect the rest of these, these bones? So it's a pretty radical way of looking at it is orthodontia. So, it is so cool. It's so know? cool. It's so cool because then you start bringing the healing to the rest of the, you know, not just here, but like we all, they also say the cranium and the sacrum, they go together. You start looking mm. at things so different and the fascia, you know, something that now, you know, the, there's so much talk about it, but I think in medical school, we just kind of went and took the fascia, like, oh, let's get it out of the way so it's not bugging us, you know, so we can get to the organs. Nobody really talked about how the fascia, you know, actually holds on to the trauma and how it can actually create, you know, changes to C fibers and some of the, some of the way that your body actually receives some of the treatments, you know, because of the entrapped trauma in the, in the limbic system. So I think even though I could ask you questions for the rest of the day, I would love to hear some advice from you for us parents who, just as somebody who sees children all day long and feels their cranium and their rhythms and, you know, is putting, looking at a child holistically, how can we best set up our children for success, like in terms of in their body and in what, what can we be doing at home? Like, how can we, like, if you were to get a new patient and say, oh, this child, you know, is clearly, you know, X, Y, and Z is clearly going on in their life because, you know, they're ahead of a bunch of other of my patients who are having these kinds of challenges. Like, what are those things that we can be doing? That's a big question. <laughs> so just give me a few. <laughs> okay. The first thing that, that I want to, that we touched upon actually is do be very, very, very committed to your own healing. That's the biggest thing that you can actually do for your child because what we bring forward in terms, and I'm not saying to be a perfect person. That's not, that's not exact. That's not at all what I'm, because no. I'm, far from perfection, but be committed to your healing because those, that healing actually, when your children, they see that you're like, oh, you know, mommy is going through this and I'm just going to take some time to be with my little girl, for example, you know, like be with my, with my inner your child. internal little girl. Yes. Yes. My inner, in, you know, my inner child that it's feeling hurt or I'm going to go, go and do some, you know, uh, writing so I can process my emotions. This is beyond anything that you can teach them that like, yeah, go sit down and, and learn about that. They actually learn by seeing you doing yeah. it. So be very committed to your own healing because that's the best thing that you can do for your child. Second thing is, you know, again, what you mentioned and what we really believe in 
you are so in tune with your child in so many ways, you know, so you, you know, it acts like a Wi-Fi. That means that a lot of times your intuition about things, like when you say, I feel that there's something not right with this, or if it doesn't come from fear and it comes from love, we always say that there's only two things, love versus fear. If it comes from love, trust your intuition. I always give my parents advice, and I said, this is my recommendation, but I want you to tune in to your heart, and from that space of loving, you only know what's best for your child. Uh, And I trust that, and I follow their intuition. Mother knows best. Exactly. The third thing that I can say is be so, so, you know, be actually proactive and learn a lot because unfortunately there's so much to learn that your doctor, you know, whether they're an osteopath or an orthodontist or a physician, they might not be up to all of those informations. My biggest source of information is from my parents that they come and they say, have you heard about this? And instead of me acting all big and mighty, I'm like, no, I haven't. Can you send me some information and I'll do some research and that's next time talk about it. You know, it, actually do your own research a lot and learn, especially about food, what your child puts mm. in their mouth. It's so, so important about these devices that they're holding because the person that you're working with, maybe they are limited in their knowledge and they might not necessarily give you all of those things and work with people that they're open to learn and they're enthusiastic about learning. They don't necessarily say, okay, I know everything already and here's what I do. And that's, that's it. That's Mm. the end of the road. Work with people that they're like, oh my God, what did you just learn? What did you just, how did you heal your gut? You know, come and tell me so I can use it for another patient and, and see if, you know, and, or I do some research about it and see if it's something that I can utilize for other people. So those are some of the things that I would, you know, that I would recommend highly. And then go to a person that looks at your child, not just as one part at a time, but actually looks at a little bit of a bigger picture. You know, I don't necessarily think that you're going to find too many orthodontists and pediatric dentists that they're going to ask about your marriage, you know, but, (laughs) you know, at at least like work with someone who's interested in your whole family and the dynamic of the family and what's going on. What are some of the stresses at home? That's it. You know, they don't have to go into the detail, but what is the stresses at home? What is your child eating? You know, what is the history of your own stuff that you have gone through in terms of orthodontics? stuff or teeth or, you know, fears of the dentist or some of those things, I think like, and and then see that they're genuinely interested, that they're genuinely interested in you as a person, as a family and, and as a whole on the, you know, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. That's beautiful. Thank you for joining my chat with Dr. Sherry Sammy. To learn more, head to happykidsdentalplanet.com or beehiveofhealing.com. That's spelled B-E-H-I-V-E. That's a wrap on today's episode. If you have a second, please rate, review, and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to share the Goop podcast with a friend. And in the meantime, for more, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.